Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings 2. And the last time, well, we saw the, the death, 2 Kings 1, of King Ahaziah. Today we're going to look at, well, we're not going to see him die, but we're going to see Elijah being taken up from the earth. All right? It's a really fantastic vision or actual event that happened. And you have two men. You have one wicked and one good. King Ahaziah was wicked, and Elijah the prophet was good. Uh, Ahaziah dies a tragic death. He succumbs to his injuries and he faces judgment in the afterlife. Elijah is taken from the earth in an honorable fashion. Ahaziah had a lot in life, had a lot of toys, got to really enjoy the world's toys as the king, um, but that, isn't, that didn't help him for the last few thousand years while he's facing judgment. Not a good place to be right now. However, Elijah lived on a very meager existence didn't have a lot in life, really gave up a lot of the things of the world to serve God, and Elijah's been in glory for many years now at this point, thousands of years. And brothers and sisters, basically the choice is ours, how we want to go. You know, do we want to go out like Ahaziah, or do we want to go out like Elijah? Well, maybe not exactly like Elijah, but we can. the beautiful thing about free will that God has given us is we choose our destiny. We choose where we spend eternity, and that's a blessing. Uh, I know for me, I've trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, as many of you have, and um, we, the Lord has promised us eternal life in a good place. Very exciting. So jumping in to chapter 2, starting with verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now because their names are similar, I'm going to enunciate so that we can keep track of who's who. Elijah is the older prophet. He's the one that went first. And Elisha is the younger uh, protege who's also a prophet. Uh, and he came later. Right? God told Elijah to call Elisha into ministry. So if I could just put up the image, and we'll just keep it up for the evening. We're going to see this. They're going to go from different places. So... They go from Gilgal to Bethel. And if you look at it, Gilgal's over here, Bethel's over here. Uh, so the main places we're going to look at is Gilgal, Bethel, and uh, the Jordan. Okay, So we're going to check that out. We'll keep that up there. And the Lord is getting ready to take Elijah. His work is done on the earth. However, Elisha is not ready to let go. And we'll see that, right? So it came to pass the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. And Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. All right, verse 3. And the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know? that the Lord will take away your master over you today or over your head today, literally. And he said, yes, I know, keep silent. It's kind of funny. So the sons of the prophets, everybody knows. 
That's the beautiful thing about serving the Lord. When you're really in tune with the Lord, um, you don't need a, a direction map. You don't need it on your, on your phone to remind you to do all these things. God gives you a sense. He gives you a spiritual sense. And if you've served, or if you've been in ministry, you know this. So Elisha knows he doesn't want to hear it. Elijah knows and is at peace with it. The sons of the prophets, which I'll get to, also know that this very day, the Lord is going to call Elijah up, literally up into the air. So everybody knows. And I think Elisha's uh, his, his response is funny. He's basically saying, I know, be quiet. <laughs> you know? And what it shows is that even the most godly people struggle with God's will. This is God's will. However, Elisha is not ready for a lot of reasons. He's developed a, a love for Elijah. He, um, it's just this, this bond that the two of them have, and, and he's struggling. And I've got to tell you, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, especially if you've stepped up to serve and the God, God has called you into ministry, you will struggle with God's will because we ha- we're still flesh. Our spirit so badly wants to please God. But Jesus said the flesh is weak. It often gets in the way. Our emotions, our physical well-being, our comfort zones. So I want to encourage you. Um, I love God and I love to teach and I love being a pastor, but there's times that I struggle with God's will. Now we eventually have to do it. If we're called to serve Him, then we need to serve the one who is leading us. You know, I funny, I look at... Uh, Jonah, the prophet, you know, he was a prophet and he didn't like God's will to go to the Ninevites. Anything but those people. I hate those people. They're rotten people. And they were rotten people. But God loved them and wanted them redeemed. And Jonah fled from his presence. But eventually Jonah got got with the program and he did what God called him to do. So struggling with God's will is the title of today's message. So I want to encourage you, if you're there or you will be there in the next few months or you have been there, so was Elisha. Now, some say that Elijah was testing Elisha's devotion, and if that was the case, Elisha definitely passes. Um, Sometimes God wants to move us to greater things, but we want to stay where we are. We want to be comfortable. That's another thing. I talked about comfort zones. We start to get comfortable. We start to get into a groove, and we don't want to be moved out of that groove. So let me raise my hand again, okay? That's me. I like routine. I like being comfortable, and then sometimes God says, Um, you're not relying on me, you're relying on your routine. Hello? And he has to get my attention. Just like the time I was telling you when I lost, I didn't lose. (laughs) I I took it to a computer place to get fixed and they sent it out and they lost my computer and I didn't back up my files and I lost all my messages from day one. And that was very uncomfortable for me. But I looked at the bright side and this is what I looked at and I said, you know what, maybe God wants me to change up my templates, my weddings, my funerals, communion. Uh, Maybe God is saying, I want you to be fresh. I want you to be a new wineskin. I'm going to do something new in you. Stop relying on that old stuff. You're too comfortable. Literally took my legs out from under me. So I was very frustrated and very unhappy at first, but I also saw the silver lining in it, right? Uh, Again, being comfortable. Obviously, there was a great bond between Elijah and Elisha. And, and again, looking at my life, and I'm just using myself as an example, really in a negative way. So I'm not, you know, sometimes 
the, one of the things you're taught early in ministry is don't use yourself as an example, as this great example. I'm not. I'm telling you all the things that I messed up on, by the way. You know, I'm trying to be transparent from the pulpit. But I remember that I had mentors in Christianity. I didn't want to let them go. One of them, many years ago, died of cancer at a young age. Uh, and I, I didn't want to let him go. But it was his time. And I tell you what, he went joyfully. I was there the day he passed. Amazing. Uh, but but I, I didn't feel, I didn't want that. But it wasn't my decision. Uh, the second thing I look at too is that maybe another concern for Elisha, maybe he didn't feel like he could do it alone. And again, if you've been mentored by somebody, sometimes I've had this happen. One of my other mentors said, I, you don't need me anymore. I'm like, no, I do need you. He goes, well, we could be friends. He goes, but you don't need me. No, no, but I want to learn more. He goes, you're, you're at a place where you need to stand on your own. And I got to tell you, when I became the pastor of this church, it was through very difficult circumstances, and I'd not, I did not feel ready. I did not feel comfortable. I did not like it. Sam, I am. You know, I, did, I just didn't like it. <laughs> so, and I made sure I voiced that to the Lord, and he said, this is what I want you to do. And it took a few years for me to actually to get comfortable um, because it was such a difficult circumstance. But again, maybe Elisha felt that I, I really still need Elijah here, and God says, no, you don't. I'm God. Trust me on this one. Um, but it just shows that men and women of the Bible are no less human than we are. This is one of those, listen, the Old Testament can be tough to teach. I could be up here by myself tonight because to me, this is so powerful that I'm receiving from it. It's just one of those teachings. It's just one of the gems to be pulled out of the Old Testament, which just went on some 3,000 years ago, circa, and uh, it's, it could have been written this morning. That's how relevant it is, right? Verses 4 and 5. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know, keep silent. So if we look at our map, uh, Jericho's around here. So, and basically, if you look at, this is the area that they're talking about. Eventually, they end up on the other side of the Jordan River. So this is the Jordan River, okay? And uh, the Dead Sea's down here. The Sea of Galilee's up here, or the Sea of Chenereth. The names have always changed, but the geography never changes. They just, new people come in, and they just change the names. Um, so, the same thing happens. Uh, why does Elijah hit all these little towns? Well, uh, if you read the scripture, each one of these towns had a significance to the children of Israel. Quite frankly, Elijah, it's so funny because Elijah has a mindset. Elisha has a mindset. To me, Elijah is more comfortable, more at peace with this than Elisha is for, for different reasons. But it's possible that Elijah, the older prophet, is just taking a stroll down memory lane because he knows God's going to take him that, that day. And he's savoring the sights. This is what we did as the children. It's so, so cool. All these memorials, you know. And each town that's mentioned has a different significance to it. So maybe he's savoring the, the promised land before he goes to the heavenly promised land. Verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And nobody bothered Elisha again, the sons of the prophets. I think they got the message. He didn't want to hear it. Uh, but it says that 
verse 7, and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. If this was done in a movie, it probably was very powerful. I could just see the sons of the prophets just, they know something big is happening. They have that spiritual sense and they're just standing there quietly and they're just watching. You know, they're just waiting for God to do what he's going to do. So the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that. So in other words, it parted, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So here's the same scenario. They get up to the Jordan River, which I showed you. Um, the prophets come, come out. It seems like they come out of each town. Because, you know, there's a group of prophets in this town, there's a group of prophets in that town, and each time Elijah comes through the different town, they come out, they're respectful, they bid farewell in a sense. Um, it's probably very powerful, very emotional. And Elijah does a miracle, he parts the water. Now, what is a mantle? What, he rolled up his mantle, what is that? A mantle was like a robe, you know. Uh, the, it was kind of like a, an, a, an accouterment, a, a, almost like a uniform that the prophets would wear. They would wear this type of robe and they would live a humble existence off the land. And you know, it was an attire that signified that you were a prophet. So he rolls it up to be like almost like a rod and he taps the water and it opens up and they're able to cross over it. Kind of reminiscent of Moses and also Joshua parting respective bodies of water. You see a lot of similarities in the prophets, a lot of parallels. And the sons of the prophets were men of God that devoted their life to the service of the Lord. For us, it's like, what well, the sons of the word, these guys are everywhere. I know, today, uh, everybody's, especially in American culture, we're so busy with so many things. Uh, but these guys spent their lives just seeking God's will and wanting to be used by God. Uh, it's, just the, it's just an amazing thing. You know, today you see churches closing, you see people leaving ministry. That's, it's a net loss. I know in this area, you, a church will pop up every few months but in the United States, there's actually a net loss of ministry, a net loss of pastors leaving, people not wanting to come in and replace them, uh, churches closing. In Europe, it's even worse. A lot of churches are closing. It's becoming a, po a post-Christian type of Western society. Um, Muslims are buying the churches and cutting the crosses off and putting Arabic writing. Don't blame the Muslims. It's the, what's the problem? The problem is the people's hearts in Europe. Uh, if it's be a post-Christian nation, it's because it's the people. Their heart is not towards God. I'm just going to digress here for a moment. I look at the two candidates we have for president. It's a reflection of our society. And, you know, people are saying, people are saying, these two, this is our choice. But there was a, there was an idea, there was a, a theme in in the Old Testament where when society became decadent, he said, fine. You're going to have false prophets. You're going to have corrupt leaders. They're going, to, they're going to soak you for everything you have. They're going to tax the heck out of you. Well, what do we see in American culture? And this, this is what the people want. And then everybody's complaining about it. Um, this is the type, this is the quality that we have. <laughs> going back to the sons of the prophets, all right? On that note, let's move to verse 9. It says, and so it was when they had crossed over, Elisha, excuse me, Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. 
And you see this, this bond that the two have together. Uh, it's obvious by this point. Uh, it's not just on Elisha's part. It's on Elijah's part too. He knows he's going to be taken away. He's like, almost like, son, what can I do for you? What can I leave you? What can I give you? Because uh, by the end of the day, I'm not going to be here. You know, you've been a good partner. You've been a good protege. You've helped me, you know. What can I do for you? And he, he loved Elisha. And Elisha wants a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Now, understand this. It, he's, not saying, he's not saying, I'm being greedy. I want a lot of stuff. What he's saying is, if you understood the double portion in Jewish law, this would be like the firstborn son would get this portion, uh, like this inheritance. And really, it's a, it's a spiritual inheritance that he's looking for. He's basically, basically saying, I want to succeed you. So let me go through some points. Number one, this father-son type of mentoring relationship, it was very close. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul and Timothy, Moses and Joshua. You see this all throughout the Scripture. Elijah, Elisha wanted the spiritual inheritance from Elijah. He wants to be his successor. And here's my question. Do we affect people like that spiritually? You know, and, and listen, when you disciple people, uh, I, I, can't, I don't know one Christian who's discipled for years that has not had some that just, they couldn't take it. They couldn't take the heat. They couldn't take the, the, the spiritual pressure, and they, they gave up. But then there's those that we can point to that have done very well. And so my question is, do we affect people like that spiritually? Would they want to be our successor in ministry? Two, it shows that Elisha really wanted more of the things of God. He wanted a great spiritual inheritance. Now, from the other end, is that something that we desire? So are we Elijah's in that people look at us and say, you know what, I, I, I'd like to follow in that person's footsteps. But are we also Elisha's where we desire the things of God? How many churchgoers want to take it to the next level with God? How many churchgoers, and they could be wonderful people, and they're, they're, they have good attendance, and they're, they're not tardy, but how many want to take it to the next level? How many of them want to serve? How many of them want to be leaders? How many want to be pastors, right? So we Elijah's, and we are, are we Elisha's? Third, in the New Testament, Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen. as we go to the New Testament, he says, the Father will give you as much of the Holy Spirit as you ask for. The question is, do we ask? Do we ask? Do we, is it a reminder on our hearts that when we go to pray during the day, in the morning, at night, that we ask, Lord, I just want more of your Holy Spirit. And I found that if we're struggling something and we don't want to do something bad, we can force ourselves and be legalistic and do all kinds of stuff. But if we actually ask for more of God, we find ourselves not doing those things. So sometimes we want to do it from a legalistic, cut it off type of... But many times and that's why jesus said it you're filled with the holy spirit you're not going to fulfill the lusts and the works of the flesh it's one or the other and the fourth thing is elijah set a good example you know i want to be like you it's like i want to be like my dad you know my dad's the best dad my dad's stronger than your dad you know that kind of thing and and i want my son and my spiritual children to want to be like me spiritually that to me is i can say you know i i've, I've run the race well and I think Elijah could say that, and that's what we want to be able to say. So we see that, uh, I, I look at Elijah having no fear or reservations about, about what is to take place. At least it's not reflected in the Scripture. I, to me, 
Elijah looks at the believer who's at peace with whatever, whenever the Lord takes him. Whenever the Lord chooses to call him or her home, by whatever means. Through passing, through the rapture, through... It's just like, all right, Lord, I'm ready. I'm passing through this earth. Whenever you feel that my time is up, I'm ready to be with you. So Elijah is that picture of peace. Hey, let me give you whatever I can give you because I'm not gonna, by the end of the day, I'm not going to be here anymore. <laughs> I'm not coming back. You know, I'm just adding a little bit. Uh, verse 11, it says, Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two men, the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Could you imagine what that must have looked like? That must have been so wild. I went on the internet and I looked up, you know, Elijah being taken up and I looked at all these images and prints and paintings and this, there's a lot of orange and red, you know. There's just fire everywhere and there's an image of a chariot. But you got a chari- chariots of fire, horses of fire, and a whirlwind. Now, I'm a stickler for scriptural accuracy, okay? I was going to put an image up, but I didn't because none of them were accurate. You know what it showed? It showed Elijah in the chariot with the horses. That's not what it says. What it says is that the... I just think that there was such a bond between these two men that God had to use something fantastic to separate the two. I mean, Elijah was not going to let him go. We see that. And God uses some amazing imagery, amazing uh, event to actually come and separate the two men. So Elisha was probably like, I don't want to touch that. I might get burned. So he stays his distance. So the chariot and the horses separate the two, but Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind or a tempest or a hurricane or a storm. When you look at the Hebrew, he's just like, it just, he goes up. And I'm sure the chariot and the horses eventually go up too. So I did not, just like, just like you know, you always see the, the picture of Samson as this muscle-bound, tremendous weightlifter. But it didn't say that Samson's strength was in his muscles. Right? First of all, the strength was supernatural. It was from God. And God chose to use his hair as that vehicle. So Samson could have been 140 pounds, wiry, but this guy could lift gates. He could, you know, he, he was amazingly strong and like, wow, him? So it's, it's funny. I just, I'm just one of those sticklers for what the scripture says. I take it literally and people use their imagination, but uh, I, I look at Elijah going up as a type of the rapture when he's ready to call his, his believers home. They come, they go right up. So a few things before we move on. We see the awesome power of God not Elijah, right? Probably a lot of the children of Israel were like, oh, here comes Elijah. God made sure everybody understood that was from God, not Elijah. God was in control. Perspective check. Two, the word, uh, now this is a little bit of doctrinal theology. The word heaven in Hebrew has three meanings, just like the word uh, Greek, the Greek counterpart in the New Testament, uranus, has three different understandings. So when you look at the Scripture, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, it speaks about uh, the heavens, which are like the atmosphere, the layers of the atmosphere. It speaks about God's throne room, which is in a different, literally a different dimension. It's not like you, if you take a plane or a rocket and you go up f- far enough, you're going to boom, boom, run into the bubble of His house. 
It doesn't work like that. He's in a different dimension. The word also can mean like the outer heavenlies, like outer space. Okay, so heaven is a contextual word. Remember, Elijah did not go to God's throne room. Why? Because Christ didn't die for his sins yet. He went up. He went somewhere. Now, I've looked and, and checked with a lot of, you know, I have my ideas. I looked at what some of the Bible commentators thought, and nobody really knows for sure. But I can tell you that he didn't go to, in, in his physical state, to actually be in the presence of God. Christ didn't die for his sins yet. He could have gone to Luke 16, talks about Abraham's bosom, where Abraham and the great patriarchs, the men of faith, ended up in a good place before Christ died for their sins and let them go into, literally into God's presence. Um, again, some speculate that they took him, God took him somewhere else, and um, some believe, I mean, there's so many different ideas to this, but I don't think it's important. But what it is, is God takes him away. He, he removes him. Um, quite pos possibly in Revelation 11, it speaks about the two witnesses, the two prophets. A lot of people think that Elijah's one of them. He scooped him up, put him somewhere for a time. He's going to redeposit him down on earth in our future, and he's going to do these amazing works, and he's going to destroy his enemies by fire once again, which is his M.O., and there's one other prophet involved in this. We don't know. So I just, I'll just throw that out at you. I think he went to be where Abraham was. That's my opinion. And all the great patriarchs, men and women, who, who died in faith. Verse 12. Now Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his clothes and tore them into two pieces. I want to see Sight and Sound do this one. <laughs> I'm going to call them up. Hey, if you haven't done it, do this one. This would be a great one. The fire, the chariots. Let's see, let's see what you guys can do with all those neat little gadgets that you have over there. But uh, Elisha's heart is broken. You know, he's grown to love Elijah. And you know what? I got to tell you, folks, when you get into ministry, you're going to get your heart broken. Right? For those of you in ministry, you're going to get your heart broken. It happens. Okay? Um, but it's something that God calls us to do, right? It's, it, are we obedient to God? This is actually, it's when you read this in one full thought and you get into it, it's, it's a tearjerker. Uh, you know, it's, it's sad to, to look at, but it's all good in the end. The two of them are in a really good place right now. Um, and tearing his clothes was a sign of mourning because he was separated from Elijah. Uh, people would often do this when somebody died, they would tear their clothes. This was just a reaction he had because I'm, I'm separated from this wonderful man that I've known to love as a father, a spiritual father. 13. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Very interesting. Maybe as he was going up in that tempest, his, his robe fell from heaven and Elisha's like, oh, let's, let me start with this. This is what I know. This is from him. So he, he takes up the, the mantle of Elijah, and he goes back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. So this is Elisha's big test. He takes the mantle from Elijah, 
because Elijah doesn't need it anymore. He's went up to be taken to heaven. And he rolls up his predecessor's mantle and he, he strikes the water. What does he do? He learns from being discipled. Can we use that as an application today? Absolutely. Listen, you can have, Jesus spoke about the Pharisees who were good disciplers, except they were evil. And he said, you make your proselytes twice the son of hell as you are. Now he's talking to religious people. Because they do everything that you do, they watch you. And they're just as hypocritical as you are, and they don't have a heart for the Lord. So that's an example of a bad discipleship. This is an example of a good, and that's in Matthew 23, great portion of Scripture. This one, he, this is good. He learns. I've, I've watched Elijah. I've studied him. I, I know his M.O. And he, he starts to do what he knows, what he's seen. Right? Now, the, the mantle itself had no special power in it. People think that it's so sad. It, in, I guess you would say, no, I don't want to say evangelical because it's not real. But you know, people will buy like a, the blessed handkerchief for $50 from all these charlatans on TV. And, you know, I don't know if the pastor blows his nose in it before he mails it out, but um, it's kind of weird. The blessed handkerchief, and they do stuff with it, and it's supposed to make miracles. It, it's, that's not what, it's not what this is about. This is an object lesson. You know, some people look at, um, you know, for good luck, they'll go to the Holy Land and buy pieces of the cross of Christ. Let me tell you something. For 2,000 years, they've been selling these relics. The cross would have to be the size of the Empire State Building, okay? You can't just keep giving people stuff and charging them money. You put all those pieces together, it's, it, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It'd be like the size of a mountain. So it, that's not what this is about, okay? Verse 14, Elisha asks, where is the Lord God of, of Elijah? In other words, I want him to be with me too. Is this, and, and again, it's, it's when you're new in ministry or when God sets you out on your own, you're unsteady on your feet. God is with you, but it, it's our own insecurities. So he's, he's using the mantle that his predecessor used. He's asking where the Lord God of Elijah is because he wants God to be with him too, but this is what he knows. See what I'm saying? And as Elisha goes on, he doesn't use these crutches anymore. He's able to stand on his own. Are you loving this? I mean, this is so, this is so awesome. Uh, verse 15, the sons of the prophets recognizes the Lord's new anointing and respond. They respond. Okay, and then this is the, they didn't bow down to worship him. They, they, they showed, we're in submission to you. This is a sign of respect. You don't worship a man. That's not what they were doing. They were showing a sign of submission. We, un, we, we recognize that the Lord has his anointing on you, so we Whatever you want us to do, we're going to follow you now. Pretty cool, huh? So the first miracle was a sign of God's anointing. There's two more to go before we close. Two more to go. 16. It says, Then they said to him, Look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, meaning Elijah. You know, maybe God dropped them somewhere. <laughs> He's parachuted down somewhere. Lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or in some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. Elisha says, don't do it. But they urged him, they were persistent, till he was ashamed, and he said, send them out. Therefore, they sent the 50 men, and they searched for three days, but did not find him. And when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? (laughs) 
So I just said that they were submissive to him, but they argued with him, and he's like, just do what you want. You're not going to find them. It, it's, see, this is, I love this. This is the dynamics between human beings, even in ministry. You know, how do we interact with each other? It's not always perfect. <laughs> but um, he said, don't go. And they, they pestered him, and he goes, well, go ahead. Uh, and you know, in ministry, you have to allow your subordinates to make mistakes. That's how we learn, by making mistakes. And in ministry, there's also different levels of revelation. Elisha knew you're not finding him. I can bet my life on that. You're not finding him. God took him. The others were always, they were perceptive that God was going to take him. They knew that he was going to bring him up over Elisha's head. They knew a lot of things, but they, they were wrong about where, where he was going once he was taken up. It's okay. It happens. Um, why did God take Elijah? Again, this is one of those things where nobody knows for sure. Number one, it's quite possible that maybe God sensed that some in the children of Israel were making an idol out of Elijah. He didn't act that way, but they were turning him into an idol, into a celebrity. Again, I don't know. I'm speculating. Now today, we can, we can understand this. In Western Christianity, there's a lot of idols out there. Uh, there's a lot of ministries where these men are like giants. And you know what? We're all equal. Uh, so I can definitely see the idol maker kind of thing going on. Uh, two, in addition and in conjunction, maybe God wanted to use others and share the responsibility. God doesn't play favorites. Oh, let me find my best people. You guys are my favorites. Elijah, you're up in front. No. It's, now it's Elisha's turn. I love that. There's always there's something for everybody. Uh, three, again, I said this before, but maybe he preserved him alive so that he can redeposit him in our future to be one of those two prophets in Revelation 11. He's going to use fire again as judgment. Verse 19, Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of the city is, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water or purified it. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spoke. Now, this is Elisha's second miracle after Elijah's taken. And this was the, the second miracle was the miracle of cleansing or purification. I have to understand in those days, um, the, the greatest cities like Babylon, were close to a, a fresh, pure water supply. They didn't have, they had irrigation. They didn't have modern plumbing like we do. I mean, now they have these incredible machines that, that run on their own and they make water out of, of moisture in the air. The, 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 the age of technology that we are in is unbelievable. They're going to Africa. They're going to these remote areas. They don't have to dig wells anymore. This is unbelievable what people are doing with technology. Fantastic. Okay, so back then they didn't have those machines, all right? If you had a city that had a bad water source, nobody could live there, okay? Or they'd have to go pretty far to, to haul the water back, and, and they asked for his help, and he... He helped them. Now, salt is a picture of preservation or purification. What does Jesus say to Christians? He goes, you're to go out there and to be salt on the rotting flesh of society. Sorry, sorry to be graphic, but that's what salt does. It slows the putrefication, the, the, the rotting process. Well, back then, now we have refrigeration and all kinds of neat stuff. 
we've got to put ourselves back, back there. So Jesus says as Christians, and you know what's funny? You can see a lot of the politicians. Well, we want to clone humans. And the Christians are like, you know, that's really wrong. We shouldn't do that. Well, we want to, you know, um, trimester uh, partial birth abortions, take their limbs and sell them for a profit for uh, science. And the Christians are like, that's disgusting. That's murder. That's sick. And you're seeing that in the debate too. We, we, we say this is wrong. A lot of the agenda of the globalists, they hate us because we're always in their way. But Jesus called us to be that purifying factor. And there's going to be times where we have to open our mouths and say, that's wrong. I don't agree with that. That's wrong. You know? Says who? Who are you to tell me that that's wrong? Okay, I'm just, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not voting for that. I'm just not. I can't in good conscience. Uh, but so the, the water or the salt wasn't magic salt. He didn't say, go get me some magic beans, you know. He said, get me some salt. The water or the salt was just a vehicle. It was an object lesson, symbol of purification. He puts it in the water, it's clean. Who did the work? God. It wasn't the salt. Because the salt, is, if the moving source of water will just push it out. You can't keep it in that moving source. So it was just, he goes, in faith he did it. And God healed whatever. Was it a bacterial problem? Was it a, a chemical, a poison? Don't know. But it was healed. Verse 23. Last few verses. And he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up on the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. So I find this funny. Uh, then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and there he returned to Samaria. The third miracle was a miracle of judgment. So the first one was of anointing. The second one was uh, of purification. And the third one was of judgment. Now understand, these weren't like, um, you know, not eight and nine-year-olds. When you look at the Hebrew word, these men, they were either, they could be from late teens all the way up to their 30s. They were, they were a gang of thugs. They were disrespectful. You know, we see it in our society. There's something about men, and it's just this weird thing, that if a man is alone, he may be balanced, he may not be a troublemaker, but when he's with five other men and he goes out in public, he's empowered. He feels like he's a tough guy, you know. Um, and, and men can become bullies. It's gang mentality. It's, it's really wrong. We see videos all the time, these, these bands of men that should be working, but they're just out to cause trouble, to rob or to do whatever they're doing. Uh, but listen, again, to us it's culture shock back then. God didn't tolerate this kind of stuff, especially against his prophets. They disrespected Elisha, Elijah, and God, and I'll explain all three ways. <laughs> Go up, you bald head. <laughs> Does it mean that Elisha was bald? Was he follically challenged? I don't know. <laughs> but I do know that in the Hebrew, it, the translation, it, it doesn't always translate to English. These are more of literal translations. Um, it, it has a, a component of you're a worthless person. You know, you're, it's, it's just a real insult. So he's insulting Elisha, and he says, go up, go up. Well, either they saw it from afar or they heard about it, in which case, hopefully they would have, should have had some reverence. They're speaking about the event that just happened with Elijah being taken up. This was a solemn, this was an honorable thing. And they're saying, you get out of here too. You and your, we don't want Elijah, we don't want you. And if we don't want you and we don't want Elijah, then really, we don't want God. And again, 
as Christians, a lot of times we carry the message of Christ. And Jesus said, trust me, people will hate you because don't worry about it because they hated me first. You're carrying my message. They hate my message, so they're going to try to kill the messenger, to quote a, a, a phrase. Uh, so in Leviticus 26, 21 through 22, God promised in the law rebellious people, a, a rebellious society. It's, it's kind of funny. Sometimes I'm going to unleash the animals. There were times that lions <laughs> prowled in the streets. Now, Pastor Paul was doing Proverbs, and the lazy man doesn't want to leave the house because a lion could be out there. The lazy man was saying, well, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to sit here every day because there could be a lion out there. But there were times that God pronounced judgment on the people, and the lions would attack people. Um, it, and this time it was two female bears, and they roughed up a, a bunch of guys. Now, we don't know that the female bears actually killed them, but we know that they got mauled. They got hurt. And um, they'll probably think twice about doing what they were doing. So, <laughs> what was Elijah's legacy? Well, he was humble, but he was also powerful. He was afraid at times, but fearless at others. He was doubtful at times, but determined at others. He was flawed, but seemingly flawless at other times. He was a mixed bag, and he's like you and I. You know, if God could use Elijah, remember the chapters where he was scared and he was running and running and running and running. The guy must have been a marathon runner. He ran so far, he ran out of Israel. Look, I'm not doing this, God. And he had his pity party and eventually he came back and says, okay, I'll do it. You know, and we can be like that. We like, oh, we complain, we whine, we, it's, you know. And then eventually we, we, we apologize to God and repent and say, I was a jerk, I'm sorry. I, I, really, I really do want to be used by you. Uh, second point, last point out of this whole thing is struggling with God's will. You see Elisha struggle in the beginning. Now his mentor, he might have been nervous, he might have been, but you don't see it. It doesn't come out in, in, the, in the scripture. Uh, so Elijah is actually, even up to his last moment, is setting a really good example. Elisha is struggling. The young protege, the young prophet, he's struggling. He's struggling with God's will. Don't know exactly what he was thinking. Put out a few conjectures. But he, he was really having a, good, uh, a difficult time. I submit to you, by the end of the chapter, he starts to get his sea legs. He starts to get his, his bearings. He starts to own the position. Elijah's gone. God's called me. So I just want to encourage you that this is life. You know, in, in 30 years, I might be dead. I might be um, unable to do this. And somebody's going to step into this pulpit if the Lord tarries. Somebody's got to do it. The ushers, the, the children's ministry teachers, I mean, the sound people. Um, this is what you have in a church. And the people who are going to step into those roles, I find myself encouraging them because they're skittish. They're, they're not sure of themselves. But... You know, he recycles people, and I love that. Sometimes he's done with us, and he moves on to the next generation. You know, what's my son going to do? I don't know. You know, he's going to have to pray about where he fits in. He might still be ushering. He might be pastoring. I don't know. But the younger generation is going to come up, and that's what happens. So I want to encourage you, wherever you are in life, and it's really not a youth thing. You could be middle-aged or older and, and starting to serve for the first time. I want to encourage you. If it's God's will and he's called you to do it, don't look at yourself in the mirror and say, I can't do it. If God says you can do it, you can't say, I can't do it. Because now you're disagreeing with God. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
So I just, when we leave this building, I want you to pray. I want you to pray tonight. When you're alone, I want you to pray. Lord, what is it that you'll have me do? What is your will? And he might say something that you struggle with, just like Elisha did. But just like the end of the chapter, it may be a month, it may be a year, it could be longer. If you're really trusting in God, you'll get there. So I really want to encourage you with that. Um, Ahaziah lived for himself. King Ahaziah, we talked about him in the beginning. Elijah lived for God. And he did such a good job training Elisha that Elisha lived for God. And that's where I want to end it, on that high note. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. Let's